You may be seated and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6 as we continue our series on a generational family vision. We'll title this today, With All. We'll be taking our text today from Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Let us pray. Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your holy, eternal Word that You have given us. We thank You, Holy Spirit, that You are here, present in the room, to apply this Word to our hearts. I pray now, Lord, that You would stir our hearts up in such a way that we might catch a glimpse of this love of God that we just sang about. In Christ's name, Amen. So we've been going through this series on a family vision. And I ask you the question when we started this. Do you have a vision for your family that extends beyond the current generation? And we have that vision given to us by God Himself. In fact, if you go all the way back to Genesis and you look at the mandate that was given to you through God, by God, there in Genesis 1.27 it says, God created man in His own image. In the image of God created He Him. Male and female created He them. And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. There is your vision. The vision of God for humanity is through the family. To be fruitful and multiply and to take dominion of the planet. As we've been going through this series, I talked to you about how Deuteronomy is the perfect place for us to take this vision because there was a new generation that had arisen after God telling those that were disobedient to His command that they would all perish in the wilderness. And so this next generation is rising 40 years later and here Deuteronomy, which means second telling or retelling of the law, Moses is rehearsing to this new generation, God's word and God's command. God blessed them. It says if, if you obey, you will be blessed. And you'll be life givers, not life takers. And we, we did the second message on the fact that throughout history, when man turns from God's law and God's word to self-worship, they wind up performing child sacrifice. That was our second message. Last time we talked about the moral law. Moses has just repeated the Ten Commandments in chapter 5 and has told them that if they will obey these things, they will be blessed. And that this moral law, these commandments, is God's loving boundaries around your life whereby you may live 
love, move, and have your being with joy. And today we'll look at this royal commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And something I've got to share with you just to try to make us think about this love and how this love gives us great safety within the family. And this love of God we just sang about gives us great safety and protection and lets us live life with joy. I was uh, listening to Laurie talk to my mother one day and she was talking to her about the storm that came through. Y'all remember that? The tornadoes and Laurie was over at Ruth and Kimmel's house and she looked out the front window and saw the wind going sideways. And... Uh, and so they knew they had to take some action. They moved into the hallway. I believe they drug some mattresses out or something, some protection, and they were there. And my mother asked Laurie and said, well, were the kids afraid? And she laughed and said, no. They were just laughing and playing and they were just having a blast. I thought it was a big game. Well, you know, if you had the kind of trust and love like kids instinctively have for their parents, in the midst of the storms of life, you can have a ball. You can rejoice and be happy because you know that His footsteps are in the storm. The clouds are the dust of His feet. Today we want to talk about this great commandment. You will love Him with all your being when you know Him who is all. You will love Him with all your being when you know Him who is love. How will you love Him? How will you love Him? Well, first, let's just take a look at this. Hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. The one who gave you the gift of hearing says, hear. He said this in verse right above. Hear, therefore, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. We've talked about this before, but this word hear, hear is also translated obey. You will obey when you hear. You will love Him with all your hearing. You love Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You'll love Him with all your hearing. What have you been hearing this week? Have you been loving God this week with all your hearing? This word means to hear and obey. In the garden of perfection, perfect love spoke to our first parents and the effect was loving obedience until it wasn't. And in that moment, there became this splintering of our hearing and obeying. Whereby we now hear and don't obey. We became fragmented. And now we use this gift of hearing for our own pleasure. Not to love God. But when we use this gift of hearing as we ought. In love. We cherish the word. We cherish hearing things. About this glorious God and creator. One of my favorite things to do is to go up on the mountains that God made and to feel the wind in my face and to hear 
the sound of the wind in the trees. I just love that sound. To hear that wind whistling through the pine trees and the be able to look out for 20, 30, 40 miles and see the grandeur of God and feel that sense of worship just being drawn out of my soul. In Deuteronomy 11, 26 and 28, the whole point of this word means that when you hear, you will obey, that those things are connected, that when you hear perfect commands, you will obey those commands. In Deuteronomy later, Moses would say, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day. And a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods which you have not known. Now that's a principle that's still in place today. In fact, that's my whole point of doing this message on generational godliness is that there are consequences, parents, to how you are loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and spirit in front of your kids. To hear and obey is to be blessed. To hear and not obey is to be cursed. And there are consequences. And we saw that in the life of Abraham and Lot last time, didn't we? We saw that in in the the life of Jonathan Edwards and uh, the other man that we talked about. So there are consequences to obedience and disobedience. We're just saying trust and obey. And in Christ, we are recovered with the ability to be headed in that direction. Isn't that great news? That Christ wins our hearts in this direction of loving God as best we can. So that we might trust and obey. To hear Him is to obey Him. In Mark 1, 16-20, I think this is a great illustration of when we hear perfect words and perfect commands. The response is obedience. Jesus walks up by the Sea of Galilee in Mark 1, 16. He saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And Jesus said unto them, Come after me, and I will make you fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. When the creator of the universe says, Follow me, you get out of the boat and you follow him. And he went a little further and he saw James and John, and they're in the ship mending the nets. Same thing. He says, He calls them. And they left their father, Zebedee, in the ship and, and the hired servants and went after him. Hear, obey. How are you doing with that in your life? We live in a world where we're hearing things all the time. We live in a world where uh, this whole ability of ours to hear is being used to manipulate you by the evil in this world and to draw you away from obedience to Christ. And we are affected by what we hear. I think sometimes we have this idea that we can just hear stuff and remain neutral and it doesn't affect us. It does affect us. 
it does affect us. That's one of the main points of the letter James that Jonathan's in is that what comes out of your mouth can be a blessing or a curse to people. You can be edifying people or tearing them down. And how we use that tongue reflects how we are loving God with our heart, mind, soul, and spirit. John would put it this way in 1 John 2, 3. And I'll just tell you, 1 John is an exposition of the great command. The whole thing. In 1 John 2, 3 he says, And hereby we do know that we know Him. How? If we keep His commandments. If we hear the words and we're not keeping the commandments, what does that make us? That's a hypocrite. That's somebody who isn't. Who has a form of godliness, but denies the power to change. So what have you changed in your changed in your life of obedience in 2023? So so far there's been we've had messages in Peter and along the way and some other things we're learning. What's changed in your behavior? We just sang in that song that Christ is growing dearer day by day. And that word dear there is, is a word that's packed with passion and emotion. Do you really feel that you are growing in your love for Christ? Can you sense that you're growing in your love and compassion for Christ and His people? The second thing is you will hear Him and obey Him if you are Israel. He says here, hear, O Israel. Paul tells us in Romans 2.28, just to paraphrase that, he says, You're not a, you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents. Or because you've gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law, rather it is a change of heart produced by God's Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God and not from people. And so hear, O Israel, you will hear and obey if you be Israel. Are you in Christ? John 8, 42 and 44, there were some that couldn't hear Jesus. Y'all remember this in that chapter there. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. I didn't come of myself. He sent me. Why don't you understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. If you can hear this, and this is resonating in you, and when you read the Scriptures, it does something inside of you, praise God that you have been given the ability to hear. He would tell these religious leaders here who had it all figured out, you are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do, he was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. There is no truth in anywhere else but in this book and in Christ in this world. 
The whole world lies in wickedness. And he that is of God hears God's word. And he would say to them, you don't hear them because you're not of God. Are you hearing God's word? How do you use this gift of hearing? Are you hearing the deep things of God deep in your soul? And Christ said, he that hath ears to hear, what? Let him hear. Those that have been given ears and know him as a loving, transcendent, and eminent father will know him by name. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And why does he put those words together there? I'll tell you, as I've been studying this over a couple of weeks, I realize I'm just wading, wading in the shallow end of the pool around this commandment. And everything that's been taught and the implications behind this. We could do a whole series just on these two verses. But if you know him, you'll know him by name. And the name here is given is Lord. Y'all see the capital L-O-R-D in your Bible. The Lord and then our God is one Lord. And in the original, it's really Yahweh, Elohinu, one Yahweh. So it's four words in Hebrew. And Yahweh. So these are, this is the, the names of God. We have many names of God. God being infinite. He has many names just so that we can try to grasp a little of Him. And we've got some names given to us in Scripture, but it's not all of who He is. But it's enough that we can just wonder and glory at it, who He is. That Yahweh, as we've talked before, is the existing One. The existing One. It also has the idea of one who is unceasingly making Himself known. Right now in this room... He is making Himself known. I was reflecting on Psalms 19 this week. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day, utter speech. Every day, as the sun comes up, it's speaking. It's preaching. It's declaring constantly created beings in the image of God every time you see one is declaring God exists day into day utter speech and night into night shows knowledge there is no speech nor language on this earth where that voice is not heard and so he this word Yahweh, this name, Yahweh, means He is always making Himself known. He would say in Romans 1, That which may be known of God is revealed in them, for God has showed it unto them, so that they are without excuse. Elohim is that next name that we have here of God. We will know Him as Elohim, which is the plural form that we see in the creation where the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, is creating. There is the idea also I was reading last night where this name means the God of providence. 
He created in the beginning and He continues to create. And His plan is continually in perfection in this world. God exists in three distinct persons and is one God. And then the one is put there. Why does it say one Lord there? The Lord our God is one Lord. Well, it's over and against the polytheism of the rest of the world. And I just mentioned how in the fall, our minds became fragmented. And our hearing and obedience became fragmented. And when we, we turned from that perfection that we were designed to love with all our heart, mind, soul, and spirit, when we turned from that to worship self, we became fragmented. And so now, like in India, where they have thousands of gods, this heart becomes an idol factory. And so, one God, one Lord, is set there over against that. And that, that's even, uh, he says that here in, later in the chapter in Deuteronomy 6, where he says, You shall fear the Lord thy God and serve Him and shall swear by His name, this God that you will know by name, you shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are round about you. So this one Lord is to refocus us and reunify our fragmented minds and hearts around worshiping and serving Him. That's where the psalmist in Psalms 89 would say, Lord, unite my heart to fear Thy name. Oh, how we need to be praying that. That our hearts would be united in this focus of loving Him with all our heart, mind, soul, and spirit. Some of the other names. I've, I've heard preachers do whole messages off of each one of the names of God. We have El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty. El Elyon, the Most High God. Adonai, Master. Yahweh, Lord Jehovah. Jehovah. Nissi, the Lord my banner, the Lord my shepherd, the Lord that heals, the Lord that is there, the Lord our righteousness, the Lord who sanctifies you, the everlasting God, the jealous God, the Lord that provides, the Lord our peace, the Lord of hosts. You will know Him by name if you are Israel and you will obey Him as best you can. So there's an intimacy of knowing someone by name. Names carry generational meaning. Did anybody in here name your kid Judas? Or Jezebel? Or Benedict? There's generational meaning behind names. And this name is the name that is above all names. Philippians 2.9 Wherefore God also has highly exalted Him, Messiah, the Son, and given Him a name which is above every name. When we know Him by name, we will love Him. Do you know Him by name? When you are in your prayer closet on your knees, does your heart stir in passion? When you say the word Jesus.
If we are in Christ and we know Him by name, we will love Him with all. I said we were going to call this message with all. This will be our third thing to speak on this morning. Three times He says, with all. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart. And with all thy soul and with all thy might. You are to love Him with the entirety of your being. And that's where you find your greatest joy and happiness. What is love? Thou shalt love. You know, in a In Greek, they have different words for different kinds of love. We've just got one. So it kind of, it gets watered down, doesn't it? Someone in here might say, I love my cat. But you don't love your cat the same way you love your dad or your child. Or I love my car. I love the bulldogs. It kind of, but in the original we've got Philileo, right? The brotherly love. Filial love. Agape love. We've got erotic love. We've got different kinds of love. This love here is the supreme love that a creature has for its creator. Love is, according to Webster's, 1828, the original meaning in English. Love is where your mind is excited by something beautiful. Something beautiful that you think will give you pleasure. Now you kids might think about this like this. You walk by the section where they have the bluebell ice cream in the grocery store. You see something beautiful. And you're excited by that. Especially if mom puts it in a basket. So we, we have this idea of love as something that outside of us that excites us and stimulates us. This supreme Father, gloriously beautiful Creator, blessed Jesus, is the most beautiful thing in the universe. To be desired. He is the one thing to be desired that will satisfy not just your belly, but your deepest need. And your deepest need is Jesus Christ. This is the royal command to love Him royally who is royal. Psalm 116.1 I love the Lord because He has heard the voice of my supplications. We love Him because He hears us. Isn't that wonderful that whenever your kids, sometimes you might be distracted and they say, Mom, 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 because they want you to look at them. They want you, they want you or they're riding their tricycle or their bike and they, look at me. Look at me. They want to be noticed. They want to know that the one they love supremely in their life, their parents, is paying attention to them. Well, God's paying attention to you. He hears your prayers. Proverbs 8, 17, He says, I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. Are you one of those here today that's saying, you know what, I'm just not 
sensing God's presence. I'm in a place where I just don't feel much. If you seek Him early, you will find Him. He would say, even in, later in Deuteronomy, if you will seek Him with all your heart, you will find Him. That's a promise. If you're dead and cold in here, and not sensing that passion and emotion in your heart for Christ, then seek Him early. What do you do first thing in the morning? I hope it's not pick your phone up. Pick your Bible up. Or get on your knees. Seek Him early and you will find Him. It's easy to get swept away with the busyness of the day. Seek Him early and you will find Him. This loving Father. I heard this in a message. I think it's such a great picture. God the Father who does things over long periods of time. And He shows us what He's been doing in this book over thousands of years of history. In the book of Proverbs, this loving Father comes and takes your hand. And He says, I'm going to walk with you through life in this book of Proverbs. And I'm going to show you the things that you need to do to be wise and to be happy. And I'm going to show you the curses that fall on those who don't obey. He would plead in Proverbs 23, 26, My son, my daughter, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. You see that pleading father in the beginning of those first several chapters there as he's giving instruction. And we see there a father who with all of his heart, soul, and might has provided everything we need so that we might love him with all of our heart, soul, and might in Christ Jesus. Three times with all. The totality of everything. The heart is the part of us which means to consider. It also includes the mind, the word. The most interior organ of your body. The most vital organ of your body. And there's a reason why God did that. He's preaching a message to you about the heart through your biological heart. This is the most internal part of you. Keep the heart with all what? Diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. This heart that you have is the place of authenticity or hypocrisy. And if you're going to have generational godliness, we got to be authentic parents, don't we? we got to be loving God with all our heart because our kids will sense if they don't. God tells us in the first commandment, don't have any other gods before me because your heart was not made to love anything else but me. And he, the last commandment at the bottom, don't desire anything other than me. Don't covet. Don't have evil desires outside of me. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Are you seeing God? Are you pure in heart? 
If you're impure in heart, you will not see God. Your mind will become polluted and defiled with the things of this world. You will become deadened and blinded to the glories of Christ. And if you're His child, He's going to correct you for that. Matthew 6.21 For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. It's impossible to love two things supremely. And then what Christ said, you can't love God and money. You can't love God and anything else. You're going to have a supreme love in your life. What is it? What is your one passion? Whenever parents in front of kids give their passion and their love to something other than God, they're sowing seeds in the very fabric of their life that are going to harm their kids and could be sown through generations. Blessed are they that keep His testimonies and that seek Him with the whole heart. It's kind of daunting, isn't it? To think about implications of our loves. How we speak in front of our kids about money or anything can show them that the, what the direction of our heart is. In Proverbs 4, 20, this loving Father says to you, My son, attend to my words. Incline your ear into my sayings. Let them not depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Keep the heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. This is health even to your flesh. Have you ever heard of a psychosomatic illnesses? When you become diseased in heart and diseased in mind, you become diseased in body. We're to love Him with all our heart, with all our soul. Soul is the word here that means the spiritual, rational, and immortal part of who you are. This is what distinguishes you from the animals. The animals just react to programming. You have the ability to stop and think before you react. We don't always do that. But we do. We've got the ability when we're stimulated by a stimulus. Somebody saying something to us or something. We don't have to immediately react. We can stop, think about how we react. The immortal soul. This is what distinguishes us. This is what we are to, to use in loving God with all our soul. This immortal part of us. The apple of the eye. The soul, this word soul also has the idea of strong desire or passion. So this ability that you have for passion is, comes flowing out of this soul. And it, the definition also says that it's dependent on an outside object. So our soul is drawn out after beauty. God. It's the great ability of our souls also to love and suffer. This word passion, as we know in the passion of Christ, also means suffering. 
Love and suffering go together sometimes, don't they? You ever been lovesick? Where you can't eat? Sometimes there is a, uh, the, there's an ability in the arts to capture the gospel in a way that captures the imagination. There was a play written in 1897, Cyrano de Bergiac, by Edmund Rostand. It's been recreated many times, Roxanne. Uh, it was also recently done as a musical called Cyrano. And I watched this with my mother and Laurie the other night. And I, I went and I looked up this playwright because he, he captured this passion and the gospel in this play. And I couldn't find anywhere it said anything about it. he was a believer. But he understood just from the fact that he's being made in the image of God what this loving with all the heart, mind, soul, and strength is. In the story, we have Cyrano who is disfigured from birth. He's in love with a childhood friend and his passionate love for her is the driving force of his life. He loves her with all his soul. He becomes a famous poet and it's driven by his love for her. Being disfigured, he knows that he can never have her. He sees himself as ugly and as her as the most beautiful thing in the world. And so it keeps him humble. This loving passion for what he sees as perfect beauty keeps him humble. Her beauty reveals to him how ugly and disfigured he is. And you see the gospel all over that? He becomes a great soldier and he's admired for his bravery because this love is driving him. She comes to him in the story and reveal, she's going to reveal something to him and he thinks maybe she's going to say she loves me. And he finds out she's fallen in love with another soldier, a handsome soldier. And he's heartbroken but he loves her so much and he finds out this man is really stupid that he's willing to put his beautiful poetry in the mouth of that man so that she can have what she wants. He says she's so beautiful she deserves a handsome man to love. And he's going to help this man do anything he can to help this man be what she wants him to be. And so over a course of years he writes beautiful glorious poetry for her. And eventually, of course, she finds out the man is stupid. <laughs> and she finds out that Cyrano is the one being who has been writing these beautiful, glorious love letters. And she learns in the end that she wants to be loved by a soul. And that outward beauty means nothing. Only an image-bearing soul could create a story like that. And capture this ability we have for love and passion. That's only found in the gospel. The perfection of that is only found in the gospel of Jesus Christ.
I was also thinking about George Whitfield mentioned one time there was a bishop seeing people moved to tears at a play of a story of fiction. And the same people would come to his sermons on Sunday and not have any tears at all. They were like dead fish, stiff and unmoved. And so this bishop asked the actor, how is it that people will go to the movies and be moved to tears? And yet when they come to worship, they're not moved at all. And the actor said, we tell stories that are fiction as if they were true. You tell stories that are true as if they were fiction. And I started thinking about that with this whole idea of loving God with all my heart, mind, soul, and spirit. And I started thinking about, I read an article about the chosen. Some of y'all may have seen that. And a lady there was saying that she realized that she was only being moved to tears by watching the chosen and not when she read the Bible. And she was going to stop watching it because she was convicted that she should be moved by God's Word. That kind of resonated with me. I want to be moved by His Word. And I want to be moved by art that reflects God's Word. But if I'm not being moved by the Word as much as I am by the art, then I need to give the art up. And I need to repent. We are to love Him with all our might. That's the third all. With all our might, very greatly, exceedingly with vehemence, zeal, force. In Matthew eleven twelve, it says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. This is the idea of with all our might, when the tax collectors and the whores who the holy rollers of Jesus' day came to Him and thought they had no right to the kingdom of Messiah, they came when they heard the gospel, and filled with holy might and holy zeal, they came and they ripped that kingdom out of the hand of the Pharisees and said, we will have it. Through repentance and faith, we will have this kingdom. And all of those disfigured Serranos in passion were willing to give up all. They didn't care what anybody thought. They wanted Christ. They had found their pearl of great price. And they loved Him with all their hearts. Jesus quotes this same text we have today in the New Testament on several occasions. I'll just give you one of them in Matthew 22. But when the Pharisees had heard that He had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together Then one of them which was a lawyer asked him a question, tempting him, saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, You shall love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. If you love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, you'll keep the first four. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you'll keep the second six. 
Here, the Lord uses mind in place of might, but it's really captured in the, the words before that we've talked about in heart and soul. Mind here is your understanding and your imagination. I think it's great when believers use their imagination to create stories and art that glorify Him. I was reading where you have 6,000 thoughts a day. You're loving God with all your mind. You're having 6,000 thoughts a day. How many of these thoughts are you spending on Him? Our mind hunger thirst for information. Isn't that true? So what are you thinking about? How are you using your mind? We live in a day when there's a fire hose of stuff coming out to feed your mind hunger. And you've got to be careful believer to find the stuff that will help you love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. You meant thoughts like the U.S. Mint makes money. And every one of them is to be spent on Him. Jeremiah 4.14 O Jerusalem, wash your heart from wickedness that you may be saved. How long shall your vain thoughts lodge within you? Thomas Goodwin took that verse and wrote a whole book on it. The vanity of thoughts. Vain thoughts are like the unclean birds that were trying to land on Abraham's sacrifice. And he kept having to shoo them away. So you keep shooing away the vain thoughts. Don't let them land on your sacrifice of using your mind to love God with all your heart. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. To love God with all our mind, we've got to forsake some thoughts. It doesn't mean you won't have them. David said in Psalm 119, I hate vain thoughts. He hated them because he had them and he knew that they were vanity. In Proverbs it says that the thought of foolishness is sin. Thoughts are precious things. You've been given this mind to love Him, to rejoice, to glorify Him, to be happy in this life. To take dominion of the earth as He has given us that mandate with our minds. Don't be distracted. This is hard work today. We have to... The battlefield is where? Right here. Right between your ears is your daily battlefield. For though we walk in the flesh, 2 Corinthians 10, 3... We do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. What are the strongholds? They're things that take hold of your thinking that are not aligned with this. And I'll tell you, one of the big battlefields is the whole thing about personhood and male and female. And feminism... And all of this stuff. It's a battlefield. Because what this word teaches about roles in male and female, the world hates it. And yet, that's where you find your greatest fulfillment and joy and happiness. Yeah. 
And so we pull down those strongholds. We cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God with our minds. And we bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We're to love Him with all our minds. You will love Him with all your being when you know Him. Do you know Him today? Do you know this Christ? Are you hearing and obeying the Word? Are you filled with passion for Him that drives all your behavior? That kind of passion will drive you in your profession and whatever your calling is. That love and passion will make you better at it. Whenever you throw a rock in a pond, there are the little rings that come out and they continue. Our life is a rock being thrown in the pond of life and there's going to be consequences, positive and negative, from the way that we live. I give you this vision, brothers and sisters, for your families and for all of those here. Anybody in this church is part of this vision of how we help continue the mandate of God in the world by teaching the next generation about the great and glorious God, this Christ. Think about the consequences of John Bunyan who was not willing to walk out of that jail but would kiss his blind daughter and then go back into the jail cell and write Pilgrim's Progress which to this day is having an effect on the lives of believers in this world. Or the songs we just sang. The life of William Cooper who struggled with depression. And even tried to commit suicide a couple of times that God thwarted. But his songs and his darkness was overcome by the love of Christ. And he's still having an effect on lives to this day. Let us have that kind of vision that we want our generations, for a thousand generations, to be glorifying Christ, the Messiah. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And those that believe on the Son have everlasting life. And they that believe not the Son shall not see life. So believe, trust in this Christ. He is worthy. And He will help you in this endeavor that we have. This great privilege we have to continue the vision of God in the world today. May God bless His Word.